0: Not very stable, is it? Morning, everyone. It's really good to be here. Uh, Mark and Justine coming in next Sunday, they lead a church in Durban, uh, one of the One Life churches, and they um, have been in at this church for key moments over the last seven years. And so, uh, with us opening this brand new venue a few weeks ago... um, We've asked them, come and tell us what God has for us for the next season. So next Sunday is a really big moment in our calendar. So uh, please do make it an effort to, to come out next Sunday. Um, I missed last week's Sunday because I was in the USA on a work trip. Uh, and it's so good to get back and we've got two screens working and the air con's working and like it's so much better when you miss one Sunday. I'm not saying you should miss a Sunday. I'm just saying uh, the amount that's improved in the last two weeks has been amazing. So well done to all those guys involved. But uh, you know, the Americans are funny people, eh? I spent a week there. They are an interesting bunch. uh, One of my work colleagues who lives in San Diego, he took me out for dinner to this fancy restaurant. Thankfully, he was paying. And uh, I look at the menu and the one item really caught my attention. It said, salmon and ahi pokey. I'm like, what on earth is this? Now, ahi, apparently, the waiter tells me, is some very fancy tuna. And pokey is like a bowl where all these ingredients are in. And I read the rest of this avo and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, this looks amazing. I'm going to order the salmon and ahi pokey. It's spelled poke, like you poke someone. Uh, so anyway, this meal arrives. And it's, <laughs> it's like a deconstructed sushi. It's just like raw fish and rice and all these other ingredients, all like in the bowl, like the chef was too lazy to make sushi and called it a fancy name called Pokey. It was very tasty, but it was very strange. So uh, America is a very, very funny place. Uh, just before I get started, I want to also thank um, all of those who have really shown care and concern for us over the last few days. Candice's dad passed away very suddenly on Thursday. Actually, I was in Atlanta airport when I got the message. And So grateful to all of those who've sent messages and prayed and sent condolences. We really are grateful for the amazing care in this incredible community. So thank you for uh, just your love towards us at this time. All right, Father, thank you for your word that it is eternal and unchanging. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at this word today, that you would speak to us each individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to continue our um, journey through the book of John. This is part 5 this week, and we're going to read from verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And so just the the context and the timeline, Jesus had been baptized by John, who was his older cousin, and the next day, and John doesn't record the timeline, all the events. We learn from Matthew the next day that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted, and then he comes back from the days of his temptation, and then John says, the next day. And so he sees Jesus coming, and he points him out, the lamb who was slain before, uh, for the sins of the world. And he says, he was before me. And that's technically not true, because actually John was born before Jesus a few months. So John is Jesus' older kind of second cousin, if you like. But then he says, but he was before me. And he's not referring to his physical birth, but the fact that Jesus pre-existed. He's uncreated. He's not pointing out some kind of um, interesting fact about Jesus, you know. He learned to play Tchaikovsky when he was young. Or he, he went to university in Stellenbosch. He wasn't pointing out some interesting fact like that, or that, you know, he snorkeled in the Great Barrier Reef or something. John was pointing out a fundamental aspect of Jesus' divinity, that he was pre-existent. In the beginning, he was there. Before the world was created, Jesus existed. And we don't catch that subtle kind of hint. For us, it's quite subtle, right? But to the Jews, this was making Jesus equal to God, who was pre-existent. This is a big deal statement to John that he was making. And God gave John... This sure sign. God said to John, I'm going to reveal the Messiah to You're you going to show him to Israel. And he's the one when the Spirit comes and remains. He's the one. And so John said, I saw this happen. God told me what happened. Then it happened. I'm convinced. This is my testimony. This man, Jesus, he's the one from God. He's the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And so, so John is convinced. His testimony is not Yeah, I I think he's the one. Maybe, we'll see. No, no, he was convinced because God had given him these signs. He was unwavering. So I have really just one point this morning. It's a question. It's the title of the message. Who is Jesus to you? As we look at how John portrays Jesus in this text, I'm hoping that we will catch a little bit of what John is portraying Jesus to be. Now, John didn't present Jesus as a great example or as a wonderful teacher of holiness and love. He he presents Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, behold, the great example. Behold, the great teachers coming. Gather around for a good story. No, no, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in this one sentence, John manages to summarize the most important work of Jesus. Dealing with our biggest problem, sin. Many people at that time and many people today still admire Jesus for all kinds of reasons. That he's a great teacher. That his, uh, the truth that he taught was so profound. Philosophers still debate it today. They can't find a deeper truth. Than what Jesus taught. They look at the miracles of Jesus and how he healed and rose people from the dead, the signs, the wonders. They admire him for those things. They admire him for his compassion and his love for the outcast, the downtrodden, the marginalized. How he took pity and he loved them so practically. How he would challenge the religious leaders and undo them with a question or a statement. Remember the time when they said, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they thought they had him. And he's like, Well, show me a coin. Show me some money. Whose picture's on there? Caesar's. Ah, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And they were like dumbfounded at this simple truth that completely undid them. Many people admire Jesus for those kinds of one liners and how, under attack from the authorities, he was fearless. And I wonder what are our reasons for admiring Jesus. Why did you come here today? Why did you come to Jesus? Maybe you're looking for Him to show compassion and love. Maybe you feel like an outcast, like you're downtrodden, like you're marginalized. He can show compassion and love. Maybe you're looking for some deep truth that'll have a watershed moment in your life. He can bring you that truth today. Maybe you're needing some miracle for God to break in, like Laney prayed this morning. He can do that. You're looking for some encounter from heaven. He can. But first and most important, He must be the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, as John presents Him. Most people, including many of us, probably don't realize That mankind's biggest problem is our sin and how it separates us from God and God's judgment of our sin, His wrath against sin, that is kind of hanging over our heads. We don't realize that's our biggest problem. We think climate change. We think inequality. We think education. We think poverty. We think whatever it might be. But actually, the Bible says our biggest problem is a sin problem. It's a problem of the heart not of something that's external. We don't uh, like admitting that we have a sin problem, hey? In fact, we don't like admitting we have any problem that we can't solve ourselves. We'd rather just pretend it doesn't exist, kind of walk right past it, or or put some kind of Band-Aid on, or try and ignore it, or try and solve it ourselves. Maybe it'll go away if we do something else. So we like to cover it up, and we try things like religion, all these rules and formula for living a good life. Or we try and live a very good life, a holy life, and try and do good things to try and get brownie points from God. Or we even try a church or meditation or enlightenment or a social justice cause. But the problem with sin is that it's insoluble. We can't solve it. No matter how much we try. Maybe you don't know that this morning, that the problem of sin is cannot be solved by mankind. And and God knows that. It didn't catch him by surprise. And so God devises a plan. This is the gospel. God makes a plan for the insolvable problem of sin in humanity. And that plan is Jesus dying on the cross, Him being a substitute, God putting my sin on Jesus and your sin on Jesus, And punishing that sin, the wrath of God poured out against the sin of mankind on Jesus. In my place, in your place, instead of us. This is how God solves the problem of sin. And let's not forget this amazing work. Because God can and will do many things for you and I as we follow Him. But let's soak this morning in this amazing truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The land slain before the creation of the world even happened. And friends, I want to say this morning that our revelation of Jesus, how we see Him, is a definitive thing. It defines us. It determines how we think, how we live, how we make decisions. Our revelation of Jesus defines you and I. It's definitive. And there's a big difference between knowing facts and information about something or someone and a revelation about that thing. If you've never had a milkshake, and I'm sure many of you have, I love milkshakes. I love how creamy they are, how smooth and silky, how cold they are on a hot day. They're full of ice cream. The closing his eyes and picturing this milkshake. How it just makes you feel all mm, warm and fuzzy inside. And if you've never had a milkshake, and I describe it to you, you know the facts and the information, but until you've had a chocolate bar one Oreo milkshake, my wife would add peanut butter. I wouldn't. (laughs) Until you've actually had it, you've, you've not experienced the amazing sugar rush of a milkshake. And it's the same with our faith. We can know lots about God and lots about the Bible and maybe even lots about church and Jesus. But unless we have a revelation of Jesus, it's a distant thing. It's just facts and information. You see, if we just see Jesus as a good man, He lived a great life. He lived a perfect life. What a good example. I want to follow Jesus. If we just see him like that with these wonderful teachings, then they just become optional for us. If we see him like he's full of grace, he's full of love, he just wants to bless us. Oh, God is love. He wants the best for me, doesn't he? He even says, Lord, bless me. If we see him like that, then we run the risk of, of coming to God for what we can get from Him. He becomes this kind of cosmic slot machine. We put in a few kind of coins of prayer, and we pull the lever of fasting maybe, and we expect to get something out. And when God doesn't dance to our tune, we get all miffed with God. But actually, God's not the problem. It's our revelation of God that's the problem. Some people see God as as like an authoritarian schoolmaster. He's very strict. He lays down the law. All these things you have to do and your life as a Christian is about what you do and what you don't do. Mustn't drink. Mustn't murder. Mustn't steal. You must come to church. You must listen to Bethel worship only. (laughs) It's a joke. You can listen to other worship music. (laughs) And we think God is in heaven with this massive lightning bolt or shambok waiting for us to mess up so he can strike us down and, and, and do some harm to us. And actually, you know, God is a God of vengeance and wrath. Don't you read the Old Testament? There was at one time and they had the ark on the, on the donkey wagon or the ox cart and the ark of God was about to fall off and someone tried to stop it and God struck him dead. God is a God of wrath. In fact, he hated sin so much, he had to kill his son. What kind of a loving God kills his own son? And now he's kind of forced to accept all of us who believe in his name. Didn't want to, but he had to because, you know, he killed his son. So we have this angry view of God. I don't want to go to heaven with a God like that. It's our revelation of God that's wrong, friends. But John presents Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God presents Him as the Savior and the Son. And we owe Jesus an incredible debt, our obedience, our allegiance, because He saved us by grace. Grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Because it's not about what we can do, our works, but about what Jesus has done on the cross. He saved us by grace. So we owe Him our thanks, and this should cause great praise and worship to arise from our lives as we consider how much He's done for us. You know that I can't, and you might disagree with me, and we can have a chat about it afterwards maybe, because I know there are different views on this, but I, as I look at the Bible, I can't see that we can lose our salvation. If you are genuinely born again. You've put your faith in Jesus. I can't find a verse that says you can be unborn again. The Bible says that he justifies us through faith. I can't find a verse that says we're going to be unjustified by disbelief. I can't find a verse like that. Well, Glenn, what about when at the end of time, God, Jesus separates the, the, the goats from the sheep? Remember that parable, Matthew 25, I think it is. Well, all the sheep go one way and all the Goats go the other way, but there's no sheep with the goats. His sheep are his sheep. Well, what about that verse, again that says, you know, when Jesus says, uh, you cast out demons in my name, but I tell you, you're going to, there'll be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth because you're going to be in, in hell one day. You know what Jesus said? He says, away from me, I never knew you. It's not like, oh, yeah, you once were my disciple and now you did that thing that you shouldn't have done, but now, pff, that way. No, he says, I never knew you. The Bible says he adopts us as his children. I can't find a verse that says we're going to be unadopted. I can't find a verse. Remember the, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? You know what, The father lets the son go away. It's interesting parenting advice, eh? (laughs) The father lets his son wander and do his own thing, but he never disowns the son. He was always a son. And eventually this prodigal comes back. Friends, it seems like if we've genuinely put our faith in God, nothing can take us from his hand. Those are Jesus' own words. Many people then ask, well, what if I never go to church again? What if I wander off and do my own thing? What if I I live my own selfish kind of life, turn away from God? Will I still go to heaven? Part of me thinks if you're asking that question, maybe you're not even born again in the first place. You know that there are many people who follow Jesus, thousands, big crowds, And they watched him, they were spectators, they were onlookers. They had this kind of second-hand relationship, a kind of um, social relationship with Jesus. They never had a personal one. They never actually believed in Jesus. When he gave a hard teaching, many of them left him, it says. Maybe if you're asking that question, it's possible, friends, not to judge or criticize. It's possible maybe that you're not yet born again. Also know that God is very gracious. And even the prodigals who wander and end up in a pigsty, God can reach them even in that place. And the prodigals can come back. A genuine son who might have drifted from God, God can bring them back. He's so gracious. He's so kind. I also know that only God knows the true state of every person's heart. I can't look at each of you to say and say, oh, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You need to do something about your faith. I can't. Only God knows the state of our hearts. And it would be wrong for us to try and judge and assess who has genuine faith. Because if we just look at the external, we're going to guess wrong. And anyway, most of us are very good at putting up facades. So we'd probably guess wrong anyway. But it does scare me that many people and many Christians ask a question like that almost to try and see how much can I get away with as a Christian that I don't get in trouble with God. And I, man, it's it's just you've missed the magnitude of your salvation. You've missed how important the Lamb of God who's taken away your, your sin. He's our King. He's our Lord. He's our Master. His commands are not optional. We can't have... What some people call like a buffet faith, like a buffet Christianity. There's a picture of that. I think maybe on the next slide. You know what a buffet is? You know when you get invited to a really fancy wedding? And and they've got like 20 different things that you can choose from. And you go and you get the lacquer roast meat and you get the roast potatoes and you get the gravy. And and then you you walk past the Brussels sprouts. Because, you know, like there's still a pile at the end of the night because no one, anyone here like Brussels sprouts? Man, I'll pray for you afterwards. I grew up in a home. My dad loved Brussels sprouts. is like, oh. My, my dad loved them. And I can remember, this is like, a, a, I might need some healing from this. I can remember sitting at the dining room table one night, eating every part of my supper except the three Brussels sprouts that were now cold and there was no gravy left. My mom made me sit there until I finished. It was traumatizing to say the least. Anyway, we, we, where am I? We seem to get onto food. We can't have a buffet Christianity where we pick and choose the different parts of our faith, the ones that we like, and we skip over the ones that are, or the ones that we think other people should do. You know? Let me maybe give you some examples. You walk across the buffet and you take some, I'll have some of this one, it says giving to the poor, because when I give to the poor, I just feel so good about myself. You know, I'm such a good Christian. Helping others, definitely have a helping of that. And uh, you other people, you all need that be nice to everyone. Helping, you know. Love your enemy. Take some of that ball. I don't need it, but you guys should get some. We should all have a helping of live at peace with all mankind. But we might skip past the one that says do not gossip. Because gossiping is quite fun. We don't want to take from that one. What about that person over there? You know, the person you're thinking about behind you. Quickly turn around and look at the person you're thinking about behind you. Hey, only three of you did. Sure. There's three honest people here today. I'm joking. You know, the person behind you that needs a dose of humility every day, they should take from that, uh, that bowl. What about those rich people? They mustn't just have generosity with their main meal. They must also have like the side salad of tithing because, you know, rich people, only the rich people should do that. You know, friends, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But we we don't come to Christ with nothing. Don't think that we come to Jesus with like an empty plate. We actually come with a great debt, a great deficit, that he has so mercifully wiped the slate clean. And to think that we can pick and choose the parts of our faith which we think That's arrogance, that's pride, that's presumption to think we can do that. We we come to Him with less than nothing, and yet He he saves us, not because of what we've done, because of His grace. And then on top of that, he, He cleanses us. He pours out grace upon grace. He gives us a hope and a future. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor the paracletos, the one who guides us. He puts us into an amazing community like this. He, he helps us see that He's given us all these abilities and skills and talents and how He's knitted them together so perfectly and intertwined them into what He calls the body and how we're all supposed to work together to see His kingdom come. All this grace upon grace that He's given us. He gives us His word that we can know Him. Then His disciples ask Jesus, well, how can we talk to this God? You know what Jesus says? You can call Him Father. That was, that was a revolution for the Jews at that time. You can call Him Abba, Father. And friends, then we come to God and we think, oh, He must just give me what I want. He must just answer my prayers. God's all about making my life better. Do you see the arrogance that we sometimes have? We've got no right to think we can kind of pick and choose when He's the one who's made us and saved us. We're twice His in such a spectacular way. It shows, I think, that we haven't actually grasped how big a deal our sin is. And how great of a solution he's provided. You know, if sin wasn't such a big issue, he could have just said, okay, say these three prayers every day and then, you know, you can go to heaven. If sin wasn't such a big issue, he would say, just keep to the speed limit and pay your taxes. Woo! Sorted. None of us would probably get there. eh? (laughs) But sin was such a big issue, it needed the Son of God to die. Friends, let's not diminish this great salvation, this Lamb of God. The writer to the Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And our response to this God, to Jesus, shouldn't be to complain about how intrusive he is. Well, he's, he's just messing up my life. Since I've become a Christian, I've got to get baptized, gotta stop getting drunk, gotta love my enemies, gotta keep sex till marriage, gotta tithe, gotta forgive those who've hurt me. Yo. Gotta fast. Whew, battled with that one. I battled with that one. Gotta seek first the kingdom. Gotta be a servant of all. I'm just telling you what's on the buffet you go and read the Bible, there's a whole lot of other things that you might think, sure, this looks like a whole lot of Brussels sprouts. You know what? Sometimes when we have that food from childhood that we hate, it's just something that has never been cooked properly. You know what happened to me in August, sorry, September the 1st last year? I was in Kentucky, the U.S., on a business trip, and... Uh, Taken out to dinner at a fancy restaurant by a potential collaborator that we were looking to work with. And um, I didn't know it was such a fancy restaurant, but, like, the cheapest steak was $80. And it was a steak restaurant, so, you know, thankfully he was paying. Um, But they brought these sides, like the vegetables, like, for all of us at the table to help ourselves. And there were Brussels sprouts. And there was, like, a couple left, and I was the only guy who didn't have any. I'm like, oh my word, this guy's paying for the meal, we're hoping to engage their services as a company, I should probably take some Brussels sprouts, so I took some, I took two, I cut one, like a small half, and I put it in, and I don't know how the chef had made it, but honestly, I said to Kenneth, I've never had such an amazing, like, I'm open to trying Brussels sprouts again now, like, it was, it was that Amazing. And sometimes, friends, I think when we come to our faith and God and the Bible, we see all these intimidating things like Brussels sprouts, but we've never had it presented or prepared properly, if you like. We think they're going to do us harm. Actually, God says, this is the best way you can live. You're going to find freedom and wholeness and life and my presence and joy and grace upon grace when you eat the table of God. Friends, if we if we skip past stuff in our faith and think, ah, oh, well, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna go to that. Well, you are missing out on something good that God has prepared for you and I. Our fitting response, friends, is not to complain that God's intruding and messing up our lives, but our appropriate response is adoration and devotion, and worship, and, and, and laying down our lives for this God who died for us. That's our fitting response. I want to mention one of the things on the buffet, because it's mentioned in the text this morning. John baptized Jesus. Little one here. John baptized Jesus in water. You know that Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he was perfect. He was holy. And yet he was baptized in water. And then at the end of his life, before he ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Don't stop here in Jerusalem or Judea, but go to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So water baptism, we understand, is the first thing on the buffet as a believer. It's the first chance we get to honor God with our obedience is being baptized in water. And you know, sadly, many people don't get baptized when they come to faith. All kinds of different reasons. I'll mention a few. Some people don't feel like they're ready. Just, you know, I want to try this thing out a few more months and go to church a bit and read the Bible. And then when I feel ready, I'm going to Get baptized is such a big step, you know. <sighs> some people think that, that they need to kind of clean up their act a bit, get their lives in some better shape before they come and do this very holy and spiritual act. Some people think there's some sin that they don't think God can forgive them, and so they delay and delay baptized, getting baptized. They might feel self-conscious having to do this in front of other people or the church or strangers, etc. Some people... Realize that their family might have a different faith. So what am I going to cause a rift or a family um, argument if I get baptized, but they believe something different? Worse still, maybe your family are Christian also, but they believe something very different about baptism. That's going to cause an even bigger issue if you get baptized. So many people, they don't get baptized for all these different reasons. Note the Bible never puts any, what's the word? There's no qualification. There's no bar that you have to jump over. No hoop you have to jump through in order to be baptized except have faith in Jesus. You know that? Don't have to have read the Bible. Don't have to have attended 100 church services and get the little gold stick up. 100. Now you can get baptized. (laughs) There's no... You don't have to get your life right. In fact, you know what? Baptism is not even needed for salvation. You know that. Some people teach that you've got to be born again and then baptized or you you don't go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, when Jesus hung on the cross, there was a thief on either side of him. It seems like one of them did have faith in Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Today. You'll be with me in paradise. There's no time to get off the cross and find some water and baptize Him. No, baptism is not needed for salvation. You will not diminish your salvation if you don't get baptized. But I want to say, friends, the chance to honor God and obey Him. You know, sometimes in our life, God's not talking to me, and like um, I need breakthrough. But God's waiting for you for the last thing He told you to do months ago, years ago. Maybe He's waiting for you to well, let me see my son or daughter get some show some obedience. This little thing of getting wet—it's it's a symbolic thing. There's nothing spiritual about the ceremony. You don't have to have a pastor baptize you; you just need another believer. It's symbolic because as we go under the water, it's a symbol, it's a picture of Jesus dying and being buried in the grave, and we're identifying with his death. And as we're raised out of the water, it's a symbol identifying with Jesus coming out of the grave and being raised to new life. And the water is a a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit cleansing us. So baptism is the first, first thing on the buffet as we become a Christian. And it's, it's so important, but it's not so important. We make too much of a big deal of it, but obedience is a big deal to God. No matter how small it is, there are no little things in God's kingdom. Do you know that? There's no little things in God's kingdom. And so we, we haven't advertised it, but I'm telling you now, on the 12th of February, we are going to have a baptism service. We will have a normal service, but we're going to baptize anyone who's got faith but is not yet baptized. And if you're in that place, I'm happy to uh, answer any other questions you might have. I'd love to sit down and chat it through with you. If you have questions about it or you've got whatever, I'd love to do that with you. But now's a chance for you to stop being a picky, picky eater at God's buffet and to maybe turn your life around, to reorient your focus and say, God, I'm following you. This year, 2023, well, hopefully all the years after this. As I'm ending, who is Jesus? We know who he was to John, the Lamb of God. Most importantly, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus to you, friends? Do you have lots of facts and information? Maybe you've heard a hundred sermons. You know lots about him. But if you've never had a revelation that he is the one who died in your place, man, it's going to change your life. You're going to look at the whole world differently when when you encounter God in that way. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we accept this gift, because he died instead of me, I can come to God and say, God, thank you that your wrath has been what's the word, appeased, you're no longer angry at my sin because Jesus has taken my punishment. And now God offers you and I a gift of salvation. And when we receive that free gift, we say, Lord, I I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he took my sin. And I choose to receive your forgiveness, not because of what I can do or what I've done or because I'm such an amazing person. And God would be so lucky to have me in his kingdom, you know, that's the wrong, wrong attitude. When we, when we accept the salvation, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes into our heart and we become a new creation. We're made alive. The Bible says we were dead in our sins, but he, he resurrects us. There's a spiritual birth inside us that happens. Friends, who is Jesus to you this morning? There might be some people here you've never put your faith in God before in that way. You've never crossed that line into believing in Jesus. You might have believed there is a God. You might have believed there is a heaven and a hell. You might have believed that there is a Jesus. But until you've received the salvation, He's not to you the Lamb of God who's taken away your sin. You know the demons believe that Jesus died for the sins of man, the demons believe that, the devil believes that, but they can't receive His salvation but people can. People made in God's image can. And this morning, if you've not done that, I would love to pray with you. We're going to break bread in a moment. Maybe some of the band could come up. Uh, You might've got a little communion cup on your way in. If you haven't, just put up your hand. Maybe we can all stand together. I think some of the hosting team have a tray with some of these on. They look like this. We're going to break bread together. And this is a picture. It's a symbol. It's a reminder, a little cracker on the top, which is almost impossible to get into. This bread or this cracker is a symbol. It's a reminder of Jesus' body that was broken, that we could be made whole. And the grape juice at the bottom is a reminder of Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So we're going to break bread together. We're going to remember the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who was slain for you. And let's, let's make it personal this morning. Can we stand together? Let's close our eyes. And if you this morning, you've, you've realized that you've not yet put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you know about Him. Maybe you know facts about Him, but you've not yet had a revelation and encountered Jesus in that way. I would love to pray with you this morning. While everyone else's eyes are closed, while they're doing business with God, if you need to be born again this morning, you need to become a child of God, just put your hand up very quickly wherever you are, just so I know who I'm praying with. Anyone like it this morning, you want to make your life right with God. Don't see any hands, but maybe if you were too nervous or too afraid, please come and chat to me afterwards. Father, as we break bread now, we remember Jesus as John presents him, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. takes away our sin, who puts it on himself. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken, that we could be made whole. Father, as we eat this cracker in faith, it's just a cracker that doesn't become your body. But in faith, Father, we receive your wholeness this morning. Father, as we drink this juice, this grape juice, this red liquid, a picture, a reminder of your blood that was shed, that our sins could be forgiven. Father, we're so grateful for this amazing grace that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn, that Jesus, you didn't deserve to die. You were sinless. And yet, Lord, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, to die on a cross, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Father, I pray as we drink this grape juice, that something of heaven would touch our lives as we choose to orient our lives back to you and eat from all of the glorious buffet that is your kingdom. Father, I pray that eternal life would come into our lives. We'd know your presence, your grace, your freedom, your liberty, your joy, your delight, your favor, your blessing. We'd know you personally, Lord God. Father, help us to live not with an arrogance or a presumption, that you should dance to our tune, but with a humility and a reverence and lives that exalt this living God, lives that pour out praise and adoration and worship to the one who's taken away our sins. Thank you, God. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you have any questions about baptism, I'd be happy.